The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 418 for Sunday, September 23rd, 2012. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in some questions, we provide some answers, you provide some tips and cool stuff found, we provide some tips and cool stuff found, we're the conduit, we share it all with everybody, and all together we try to learn something new, more than one thing. The goal is, the prime directive is, to learn new things every time we get together here, high atop the TMO Towers East in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. (laughs) I was going to correct you on on the proper definition of of the prime directive, but here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Now back to the prime directive. Our prime directive. Oh, I see. Yes. There's the prime directive. That's right. No, that's Federation. not the, from the Federation. No, no, no. This is our prime directive here. Listen, the Federation, they've got to do their thing. They've got to put on their pants and go to work every day and do their thing. <laughs> and we got to put on our pants and go to work and do our thing. And that's our prime directive. But there are more jumpsuits than pants, but well, <laughs> we listen, digress. I, that's right. Yeah. Oh, now we digress. Okay. Now we call the digression. <laughs> out. That's good, John. <laughs> that's awesome. But we do have an action packed show. So, you know what? Let's um, let's just get started. And I'm sure we'll have plenty of tangential things to add. But uh, but I know our time is self-limited, which is also part of our prime directive. So uh, so let's let's rock and roll with this. You ready for John? John, I am ready. All right. So John writes, dear John, Dave and Pete. Oh, Pete. I miss Pete. Right. I know. He had to leave early this morning. See, we're already on a tangent. But uh, yeah, he's he's uh, he does. He wants to be here. And we obviously want him here. So, it's you know, we got to work on the uh, technology to enable this, even while he's flying a plane. Oh, boy. So that could be we would we doing that. Yes. If we were if we were to have worked that out uh, in the past, we and we certainly would not have let anyone know that that's what he was doing at the time that he was participating in the show. I'm just saying, because <laughs> the FAA would yeah, be really excited. They, about see that. that would they put on their pants, they go to work, and they work on their prime directive, which might be at odds with ours. So you know, it's just it's all about information being kept where it needs to be. So John right. writes, go. I recently got a program called Wallpaper Wizard. It changes my desktop picture to literally thousands of different backgrounds. Some of the backgrounds are white with a single picture in the center. That's when I noticed something about my Safari window. It has lost its shadow. All the rest of my windows have shadows, and I can clearly see the edge on the white background of those desktops. But my Safari window does not have the shadow, which makes some things at the edge problematic. I check Safari preferences. Hmm? No, keep going. All right. Since I interrupted you, I was going to say, so it sounds like Safari has become Punxsutawney Phil. It's lost its shadow. Yeah, so, well, well, that depends on uh, on the year. All right, keep going. I Sorry. check Safari. Stop it. <laughs> Stop doing what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I check Safari preferences, system preferences, and secrets to see if any deal with window shadow. I could not find anything. Can you please help? Well, I think we. Well, I'm going to try. You know, I I didn't have a cut and dry answer here, Dave. Okay. 
I did look in secrets and there were, there were, uh, so the good news is other people had this problem. Cause I surfed and I saw other people that had pretty much just problems with shadows on windows in various applications. And the one place you can look though, it's in a weird part of secrets is that they do have some categories uh, or some values under the system category. One is leopard appearance at use core UI. The other is leopard appearance use leopard window values and you can check or uncheck them. It could have been, uh, I'm thinking that this utility, Dave, may have tweaked uh, another value. The, the wallpaper wizard may have done something underneath the covers that uh. we are not aware of and changed one of these. So check those. The other tip I got, though, was weird because it was it was a Apple discussion article that talked specifically about this problem. And it said, oh, well, just go to the debug menu in Safari. Now, if you recall, I believe this question has to do with Safari 6. Right. Or maybe it doesn't. Did, did uh, I don't know what John said. Oh, yeah, it didn't say. That's right. Could be could be an earlier version. But okay, so so this is another. Uh, it's another way to to tweak what the browser does. But the other that I found is in an older version of Safari in the debug menu because now I think it's called the developer menu. Develop. And I think you, you can right. act it, and I think in either version of Safari, if you go to the system pro- or you go to the the settings. And you say advanced, you will get a checkbox that lets you activate this menu that uh, can, of course, be useful to developers or debuggers, but is also just, you know, has some hidden things. And that setting was called use buffered window. So it was in a support article I'll link to, but someone said, hey, try to enable or disable, I guess, or enable this. And and someone got back to him saying, oh, yeah, that worked for me. So the, the other thing is you could use an app scrubber, maybe something is wrong with Safari. Because if it's only Safari that's not showing the window, to me, that seems kind of weird. So, so that makes me lean from the system setting prob- uh, uh, part of the, the issue here, Dave, to yeah. the maybe the app is messed up uh, aspect of this. Yeah, it, you know, it, it, this is an interesting thing. I, I, um, I don't think I, I've ever noticed that Safari has a shadow, but I'm sure that if it lost its shadow, I would notice immediately. Because, you know, we just get used to these things in OS ten. Well, I think it's just general win- I, I mean, for the Windows most part, I think every window does this. So why a Safari window specifically doesn't do it is is what has me scratching my head here. Yeah, it could be, though, you know, doing what you said, going into secrets and flipping that that setting and then and then flip, maybe turn it off and then turn it back on. Uh, that might change it system wide. And for those of you that that aren't up to speed, Secrets is a uh, I believe it's an app now used to be a pref pain. Maybe it still is that. uh, Oh, really? That just. Well, yeah, I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter, but it's at secrets.blacktree.com. We'll put it in the show notes. But this is a a handy little thing that lets you tweak all sorts of OS 10 parameters. Now, these are things that you could tweak on your own from the terminal. But Secrets uh, not only pulls them into one place and lets you do it with a graphical interface, it tells you about all of them, which is really, really handy. So definitely one of our one of our favorite geek tools. Secrets. All right. Moving on to Jurgen on uh, on this lovely Sunday afternoon. Jurgen writes, I have my screensaver set to start after five minutes on my Mac mini. Five seconds after that, password protection kicks in. As long as my monitor is turned on, everything works as expected. If I turn the monitor off, the screensaver and password protection are never activated. The weird thing is that this worked perfectly in Lion, 
and the strange behavior only started after upgrading to Mountain Lion. Is there an additional setting or what do I have to do to get this working with the monitor switched off? Uh, this is one of those things that's very curious. Uh, I, I don't have a machine. I don't have a Mac mini, so I can't test this. But uh, but I, I certainly believe you, Jurgen, And it doesn't surprise me that uh, that something like this would change as Apple's constantly doing tweaks under the hood. I, I'm sure they didn't do it intentionally, although. Um, there is an argument that you would not, the screensaver takes up CPU, depending on which screensaver you use, it might eat actually a significant amount of CPU resources. So with a Mac mini running, often people are going to run a Mac mini in what's called headless mode, which is, uh, without a monitor attached at all. And then you just remote access in. And in that case, you would never want the screensaver to run because you don't want a uh, because you don't need to waste those cycles. You're not saving a screen, right? If, if we look at the screensaver for what it is saving the screen, if there's no screen, there's no reason to turn it on. Uh, but I totally can see why you would want the computer to auto lock. And if you've got the auto lock dependent on the screensaver and the screensaver never happens, well, then your auto lock is not going to happen either. So that's uh that's a frustrating thing. I don't, I, I don't have an answer, but, uh, but I just figured it was, it was worth a informing all of you about this and then be perhaps John, you've got a perspective on it too. Huh? That's a good one. It is good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, no, hold on. Let me, let me bring it up here. Uh, I'm wondering, all right, a few things. So I do have a Mac mini and one thing occurs to me, Dave, now this is funny because it sounds like it's not seeing the screen. Well, when it when a screen is turned off, uh, you know, so so one thing I should add. Yeah, I mean, he's turning the screen off, which effectively disconnects it from the Mac. The Mac, if there's no power to the screen, right, it's, it's going to see it as off. One thing you could do is you could use energy saver and use display sleep, which will put the display into an all but off mode. It, uh, it assuming your display is energy star compliant, which most of them are these days uh, that uh that, you know, oh. letting letting the Mac manage whether the display is on or off may be a better or a good compromise option for you, Jurgen. So. All right. What, what I'm th- all right. I think we may have touched upon this or you touched on the area to look in here because I'm thinking and I never have a problem where if my screen is off and then I power my system up and I'm on a Mac mini, I do not see a prompt for the password, which I think is what was indicated as the problem here. Right. Uh. That's exactly right. This is, yeah. Now I'm wondering. Now there is a setting, as you, uh, as I think you, you just, you know, touched on here. Security and privacy general. There is a require password for sleep and screensaver, and there are a number of options there. Immediately is what I have mine set to. Right. And I think I heard mention that that this was set differently. So he's got well, he's got it set to five seconds. Uh, well, mine's set to immediately. So I would say maybe that would um, help. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least tweak that setting or play with that setting. Yeah, and that's not a bad idea. I like it. Because again, it, it sounds to me like it's, at some point it doesn't realize that there's a screen there, so it feels like it shouldn't be doing this, and, and that, that's just the, the weird part. Right. Right. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Moving on to Joe. Uh, this one, this is, well, we'll just oh, take yeah. it as it is. Uh, let's see. Or I, will we? Yeah, we'll see. He says, <laughs> uh, recently, when playing Flash videos in Firefox... 
I consistently get a message palette that pops up and it's the little flash player settings uh, thing that, that jumps up in the middle of the flash window. And, and this particular one is asking him about local storage. Sometimes uh, websites or flash engines are going to want to save stuff locally and it gives you the option to allow it or deny it. Uh, His problem is that he says it is impossible for me to dismiss this message. There are clearly buttons there, but clicking on them does nothing and I can't even click outside of them. The dialogue just stays up. He says this happens both in uh, Firefox and Chrome. My guess is if it's happening in Chrome, it's also going to happen in Safari and that it is a system wide problem. And the reason that I can say that with some certainty is I have one machine here in the house that has this problem. Uh, I'm I'm running the latest version of Flash, as is Joe. Uh, I the, and, and here's the the consistent uh, thing. They are both core to duo max and they have both been upgraded uh, from snow leopard up. I started having this problem when I upgraded from snow leopard to lion, uh, maybe even leopard to snow leopard. Now that I'm thinking about it, it only happens in one user account. So it is not a system wide thing. It was, it is, it is something about the user account. I have ripped out every bit of flash from this user account and and put it all well that I that I can find right and put it all back in and know the problem still persists. So uh, we've kind of been through the through the ringer on this one. It's a very uh, it's a very interesting issue, John. You so so this is perhaps a bit of a geek challenge. I would love if uh, if someone else has been through this and found the solution. But, uh, you know, Adobe says it, there there have been patch notes, you know, in in updates to Flash that have said we fixed the problem where on some Macs, you know, this this issue happens. Uh, that has never been the case for me. Uh, but sometimes it works, you know, so that's uh, you got any thoughts on this one, my friend? Well, yeah, and that's what I thought would. Maybe our, our replies crossed one another, but the thing was. My suggestion was now there's an older mechanism for accessing some flash settings, including as far as I can see this box. Yep. So I sent up a few links. So they're at the uh, macromedia.com support, whatever. And and it shows you Adobe flash settings. And one of them has to do with this uh, website storage uh, mechanism that they have, which is basically like, I guess, flash cookies, right? Uh, no, it, it's it's that, but more flash can even store like data uh, similar to Safari, like HTML5 web pages can store right. data locally. So, so since the dialogue that he was showing uh, has a title in it of local storage, I thought that this may be able to address the problem. Yep. And that they have a setting saying, oh, OK, well, anybody who asks for local storage, just deny it off the bat and don't bring up a dialogue. Because I, I, I remember the back of my mind running across this one as well in that even though there was a dialogue box that showed both allow and deny, you couldn't get rid of it. It was so persistent and maybe there were so many things happening. So by just uh, going to the dialogue, which I'll link to that got rid of the problem for me. So when you talk about this dialogue, you're just to make things clear, there is the dialogue that, that appears inside the flash player when this comes up in kind of mm-hmm. at runtime. But what you're talking about is a system preference pane uh, that sits down in in system preferences down at the bottom in the other section called Flash Player, and and that's where you can set global settings for these things. And uh, and the one that we're talking about is storage. And you you can actually go in 
and add a site specifically and set whether or not you want to allow or deny access for that specific site. So I, I guess what you're talking about, John, is a workaround, right? You know, if you know that when you visit site X, it asks you this question and you can't click the button. If you go ahead of time into system preferences, flash player, go to storage, go to local storage settings by site and uh, and and set that site to always allow, then it won't ask you. And that way you won't get the dialogue that you can't dismiss. It's not a solution, but it's a workaround. And it's a it's actually the, the one that I've used on that particular Mac here. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. You get what I'm saying? I see what we got here. Yeah. And, but there are three settings in that, in that storage thing, three global settings. You can say block all sites. You can say, ask me, which is what the default is. And that's what brings up the dialogue that for some of us is undismissible. And then, and then of course you can say allow all, and then you won't get the dialogue. So. Okay. Actually, these are the same dialogue. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm back on track here. Yeah, that's right. If, if you're in a flash player, uh, and and you're on a machine that's affected by this. You can right click um, inside the flash player. And I'm, I'm risking my life and limb to do this. No, here. you're right. And there's settings and global settings. Okay. Right. That's and global settings uh, will bring up the preference pane and system preferences. But if you if you right click uh, and choose settings, then it brings up this this little thing that on some machines. Thank goodness on this one. I can get rid of it. Uh, I mean, you can uh, get rid of it just by closing the Web page. But uh yeah, so there you go. Good stuff. But I so I, but the question still stands. If anyone has successfully solved this problem, uh let us know. I really honestly really thought um that it was because A I'd upgraded and I was using a third-party mouse. I have one of these uh Razer Pro Solutions mice on on that machine. And uh it's a great mouse, but um but I I just presumed that that was my issue, that it was this third party mouse. And for whatever reason, flash wasn't trapping the click from it. But uh, but no, Joe is using default stock Apple mice, never used a third party mouse, doesn't have any drivers. So I thought, dang it, that doesn't, you know. So now we're back to the drawing board. So if anybody's got any ideas, we would most certainly appreciate it. And with that, I guess it's time to move on to uh, to Joshua, huh, John? Yeah, I got an idea. I'm going to read this question. Then I'm going to answer it. All right, oh. go. Well, wait, well, well, part one. All right. Let's take this in small steps here, right? Yes. <laughs> Hi, John and Dave. I'm running a small Mac network in a school that is obnoxiously Windows. <laughs> and I am certain that the <laughs> forces... Of, I am certain that the router we are using is sabotaging my Macs. <laughs> What I see most frequently is a slow response when connecting either to the internet or to other devices on the network. So, note one, slow response. Once connected, the speeds are normal, but it's the initial connection that takes far too long and is more than irritating. I also use remote desktop. Uh, I think he's talking the the Apple remote desktop product here. Yeah. Since he capitalized it. To manage the Macs on the network and often have slow response when connecting. Okay, that's another note there. Even after screen sharing connections are established, they often lock up and drop. Ugh. All right. So what I'm doing here virtually, folks, if you heard this here, my mumbling is I'm making little notes here because these are all important points here, some more than others. All right. So we're using a FortiGate router that was provided by our ISP. Have you heard of this brand, Dave? No, I've never used FortiGate before. Okay. I don't know if it's, uh, if anybody knows, um, 
but I've never heard of them. So that makes me worry. <laughs> no, no, me? For, I, no. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I've never used them. I've certainly heard of Fortinet. They, I mean, that's, that's, that's oh, oh, enterprise okay. class stuff. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. All right. Uh, so we're using a FortiGate router that was provided by our ISP mainly for content filtering. I seem to remember a previous Mac Geek app where you talked about certain routers treating Macs differently. That there was a setting that alleviated this. Could this be what I'm looking for? Or should I go on a rampage tossing the router and PC guts around the office as long as I don't get caught? The easy option two. Option to, two. Uh, oh, no. The easy answer, of course, is to say go on a rampage tossing the router and PC guts and don't get caught. But... That's not going to solve many problems and it'll probably create even more problems. And we're all about solving problems, not creating them. Right. Well, sometimes you have Put to that in create the a problem kit. for a solution. But go ahead, John. Let's let's pretend that all right, so I, number so I, two is not an option. Yeah. So I toss out a few things here. So one, you may not always think of this here, but when I heard uh, when I saw the points here, we were talking about slowly establishing a connection, but then everything seemed to be OK. And I think that was the gist of what we got here. Yep. Right. Okay, so connecting sometimes is bad, but once it does, then everything seems okay. I was thinking in the back of my mind, DNS, Dave, or domain name system or service or whatever, but DNS. What is that? And that's on every uh, modern computer on a network uses TCP IP, and that uses a mechanism called DNS, which translates between an IP address, which is a number, and a name. Now, if this service isn't, working properly, then you may notice that your computer, uh, <laughs> that your surfing is unpleasant or uh, whether it be surfing the web or your network or whatever. So um, one thing I suggested is that there was something that I looked at quite a while ago and it was a really fun utility, but it's a, an open source deal and you can find it and, and it's called NameBench. I'll link to it, but NameBench basically tests your DNS and then a bunch of other DNSs and tells you the, the overall performance, whether they're good, bad, and if maybe you could select a better one. So it's a good tool for educating you about what what's the CNS thing and, and can I even change it to make things better? Um, but it, so it that's will number also, one. It will also tell you if one of your DNS servers is not working simply as part right. of its as part of its report, because it'll report that, you know, it, it, it's not working. Um, it, it actually, this uh, I'll tangentially include a welcome because we didn't do it earlier to everyone in the chat room at macgeekup.com slash stream. Uh, this is a timely place to do it and to thank them, uh, especially Michael, who was the first to come up with it pre-show. I had a problem where I was having exactly this symptom. Web pages didn't just take forever to come up. They never came up. And uh, and with some troubleshooting, actually, Michael was troubleshooting while I was trying to troubleshoot and really just spouting off symptoms uh, during pre-show. And this and Michael said, hey, wait a minute. It sounds like your DNS isn't working. And sure enough, that was true. The DNS in my router had stopped working. I had to reboot my router and then everything was good. So it was very, uh, very timely. So welcome to everybody in the chat room. And with that, John, I'll give it back to you. So DNS. Now, I don't know. We'll just mention DNS because I have another aspect of this. Maybe we'll go back to it because the thing is, DNS can happen at multiple levels. And that's where it gets kind of fun, too. So. Every device you have has a DNS server that it can point to. Now, whether this is a DNS server that's on your local network or one your local network that points to one out on the big wide internet or whether you're pointing directly to one on the big scary internet, that could be a discussion in and of itself as to how should you set this up to get 
best performance. And actually, I don't really know, Dave. And we should make a note because you know what I'm talking about. Exactly. Right. Uh, maybe. Does should you set every device to address a DNS on the network or talk to the one that the oh. router is talking to and have it talk to that one? Assuming that if your router is happy with it, then all your devices should channel all the requests through the router or do you distribute it and whatever that's i'm saying this could be a whole course on how to set up a dns system yeah so i mean we can head down that path briefly but i would well my my experience today notwithstanding um i find it better to manage a network even a home network uh or a small office network where your router is the one place where all the settings are stored and changed because otherwise if you if you need to change settings, you know, if you decide, well, I don't like the DNS provider that I'm using. I want to move instead to open DNS. Now you have to go around to every computer and change it. Whereas if you let your computers point to your router for DNS and then let the router decide, you've got one place to change it. In addition, you're also making things more efficient by letting your router do it. Because if, let's say, I... Uh, go to one computer and I look up www.macobserver.com because I visit that. Uh, the router is going to store that result locally. So it's, you know, what happens is the computer asks the router, what's the address for macobserver.com? The router says, ah, I don't have that. Hang on, let me go out. It goes out to DNS and gets that, brings it back and hands it to the computer and says, here you go. It also stores it in its cache, which means if I then go to another computer and check, uh, MacObserver.com. It's going to ask the router, "Do you know this?" And the router is going to say, "Yep, here's the answer." So you've saved that external lookup, uh, and that can be really handy, not just for web pages, but for things like checking mail. Right? You know, lots of things use the same address all the time, and having that cached in one place on your network locally, you know, on your side of the internet, is a good thing. That said, if I hadn't done that and had every computer pointing to an external DNS, uh, I would not have known that the, uh, I would not have had any problem earlier today because I would not have known that my router had, uh, had, you know, the DNS and my router had crashed, but I eventually would have known because DNS is probably part of a cascading crash. And I, we'd probably right about this point in the show, everything would just stop and I wouldn't be able to hear you anymore because the router <laughs> would have just locked up. So, <laughs> so, you know, there you go. You know, that's my next, my next uh, band name. <clears throat> What's that? The Cascading Crash. Mm. I like it. Isn't that catchy? <laughs> cascading Failure. Right. So the other aspect of this question, part two, and then we'll move on. Yep. I promise. <laughs> the other advice I offered is that, hey, you know, you can always blame the hardware or it could be a problem that is brought on by bad cable or interface. Now, how are you going to find out what's happening with your Ethernet interface or your wireless interface as far as whether it's, it's doing what it should and performing at its best? Well, I would run Network Utility, which I believe is in your application's utilities folder. Is that correct? Because I just brought it up yeah. using Spotlight, which, of course, is the other quick and dirty <laughs> app launcher here. And on the Info tab, so I'm looking at my mini, and there is an Ethernet tab. And this shows a number of pieces of information about the Ethernet interface, which is the primary one I use in this, though there is a wireless. But a few things that it shows here. So number one, link speed. And here it's showing one gbit per second. Woohoo! <laughs> which means good. I'm running gigabit, baby. And I called you baby, yes. But 
link speed. Well, I expect that, so that's good. So number one, based on the cabling or what you think you have in your computer, make sure that that matches that. Then it'll say link status. It should be active. If it's not, then something's broken. And then here's the part that, that I also find interesting because I don't think I've ever seen anything in the bad column here. So you on the right side of that window, after you select the interface, will be transfer statistics. And here I'm showing sent packets, receive packets, and they are increasing because I'm using my Ethernet interface as we speak. It's pretty exciting. And then there's send errors and receive errors. And right now <laughs> there's zero. And I would say if your hardware is working properly, those should always be zero. If they're, uh, and I don't think, Dave, I've ever seen those numbers be not zero. But if they are, I don't, I don't know what I do. <laughs> or collisions. That's the other one. If you're on a switch network, you should never see collisions. That was back in the old, in the bad old days with like hubs and right. shared stuff. So I, I find it kind of, kind of interesting that they actually show that figure there. But so right now I show send errors, receive errors, collisions, zero. Those should always be zero. Otherwise your network sucks. Or your hardware, network hardware sucks, or probably does. Yeah, right? you might be having a problem. Yeah, for sure. And that's all I got to say about that. I, I do want to circle back because answering Joshua's question, I think there's, um, you know, we, we sort of got off on this tangent of how to manage a network in a in a very general sense, which is honestly what we like to do. But uh, with Joshua's specific issue, I, I think there's more to address there because my guess is that their router is doing something that's causing the Macs to do slow DNS lookups. Uh, now it could be one oh. of two, it could be one of two things. It could be that there's a proxy server happening there and, and the Macs are picking that up incorrectly. Now, if you're connecting via ethernet or, or Wi-Fi, you go to system preferences network, uh, choose your, your device, either ethernet or Wi-Fi, your connection method. And then click on advanced and jump out to proxies. And uh, and if you've got auto proxy discovery checked, try unchecking it because that in and of itself can cause a delay uh, when you're trying to connect to a network. And it, it may be that the Windows machines aren't set to do this, but your Mac is. And so your Mac's waiting for some response that it never gets. And, and then finally times out and everything works fine. Uh, so that, that might be happening. So, so check that if it's not, then try to bypass the local DNS. Now, as we said, you know, there's, there's good reason to let that happen, uh, especially from the standpoint of the network manager, but if it's causing you the user some problem, uh, then you can sort of take matters into your own hands it, again, in the same spot, instead of on the proxies tab in the, uh, network preference pane, Go to the DNS tab. You will likely see in gray the IP address of whatever DNS server your network has assigned to you. You can override this by hitting the little plus button down there. Now, I recommend uh, using 8.8.8.8. That's Google's DNS server. It's easy to remember. There's plenty of others that you could use, uh, and, and you can certainly hunt those down. And NameBench would give you some of these, right? And NameBench tests Google's as well. So... So, you, you know, if you find one that's even better, go ahead and use that. But um, but eight, 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 eight is a you know pretty universal one. Uh, I've never had a problem with it. It's great for testing. It's great for bypassing DNS that's doing things that you don't want it to do. Maybe sort of filtering or whatever. But uh, but that's the you know, that that would be the thing. Put that in. Hit OK. Hit apply. None of these settings will stick until you get out of them. So you got to hit OK and then apply. 
and uh, and then test and see what happens, because that if it, if it is a DNS problem, you're going to know immediately uh, as soon as you, you pull uh, something up from there. So that's that's my that's my advice for that. Really handy. Uh, I had to teach this trick to my wife. Now, those of you that are listening with your kids, you're going to hate me now. But, um, you know, we use open DNS here on the network to filter out uh, various bits of content. And I've got pornography on that list. Um, not that I'm, my kids aren't quite at the age where they would ne- necessarily be looking to explore on their own, but I just don't want the stuff coming up accidentally for them. So, uh, so I've put this out there, but you know, my wife occasionally visits, they, you know, they, they're a little bit overprotective at open DNS on how they filter this stuff. And, you know, occasionally my wife will want to read an article somewhere and, and she's like, oh, dude, you know, I get this blocking thing and I'm trying, all I'm trying to do is look at some article on knitting and I'm, I'm like, uh, huh, right. And so I had to teach her. I'm like, okay, well, go in. You put eight, 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 eight in, and you're done. Knitting, right? Yeah, well, knitting involves needles, and needles lead to that's right. All sorts of who knows what. It's a, it's a gateway. That's right. So, but anyway, that's uh, so that that's the trick is you eight, 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 and then and then you're good to go. So bypassing all the good stuff that you've already done for yourself. All right. You know what, John? We're on this subject what? of routers, Dave. So let's. Uh, let's talk about some, some router stuff. You, you are, you said something to me and then I stopped and said, I want to hear about it during the show. But what you said to me before we even turned on the live stream was, I want to see how our connection is today because I am other than your, your actual computer, you are using no Apple network hardware at all. So there is no Apple network hardware between either one of us other than of course, Correct. The, the ethernet ports in our Macs. So correct. Tell me. This is crazy talk, John. What are you doing? <laughs> and the thing is, basically, I did an experiment. So I saw a special. So one of the companies that I, I like to buy some hardware from, and I believe I got on their mailing list or, or on their tweet list. No, it was their Twitter feed was Monoprice. So Monoprice, as many of you know, if you don't, I think oh. these guys are great for buying Pretty much anything that has to do with the, or, or at least where, where I've bought things is network cables, also AV cables like HDMI cables, which almost everybody tries to rob you. Oh, they're, they're so cheap. At my, here's the thing about Monoprice's cables, and, and this, I, you're right, I've got HDMI cables from them, but I also use like all the cables that I use in my band when we gig. Um, they're all Monoprice cables, they're dirt cheap. And really high quality. The only complaint I would have, and this is going to sound sort of crazy, but it makes sense. The only complaint is that they're so high quality that they're really thick. And so if you've got a bin that, you know, previously you could put, let's say, 20 cables in, you might only be able to fit 15 cables in the bin because these cables are so thick. But uh, but the connectors are good on them. They're they're high quality. The sound, we've never had a problem with them. And the same is true of the HDMI stuff from them. And it's like, you know, $4 for an HDMI cable instead of 40. So anyway, sorry, John, go mono price. I'm with you. We love. So I've, I've always had success buying, excuse me. And I think it's cool that you actually, so you verified that they're at least they're uh, AV cables in addition to are decent. All right. So I wouldn't use anything else. Okay. So I buy, uh, I started buying uh, both AV cables, HDMI specifically. So I didn't get, ripped off and network cables because um as you may or may not know but we're going to tell you now um the the cable that you use in your network especially and and we're pretty much going to talk ethernet here because that's pretty much what everybody's using if you're using token ring i I feel bad for you but (laughs) if you're using 
<laughs> Ethernet. Then you have a certain class of cable. And it used to be Cat 4, then Cat 5, then Cat 6. I think the current Cat 6E. But for the most part, the quality of the cable, because of the frequency of the information that goes across it, has to be of a certain class. So you're sure that it works properly. Now, yes, a lot of people over-engineer them. And we're talking cable made out of metal and wires. So, I mean, it's not like somebody's going to, you know, handcraft and build it. <laughs> what I'm saying is that a lot of times, even though you have a cable that doesn't meet the spec of the network that you're on, it'll probably work anyways. But I would always over-engineer as well as uh, sure. <laughs> instead of under-engineer. Because that's when I think you're going to see the problem I was talking about before, where you're going to see errors and collisions and all sorts of terrible things in the uh, network utility when you look at an interface. That's when you're using. But, but John, when, you mentioned yes. you mentioned you got a new router. So we're going to the router. Forget cables. So the router. So they also tweeted about. Thanks, Dave. So they tweeted about two things, which I bought. So one I bought because I was running out of ports on my time capsule, and it was a. Uh, they have a eight eight uh, port gigabit switch, and I got that for like twenty bucks. I'm like, okay, great. Plug it in. Works fine. It's transparent as it should be. But then I decided, Dave. Then they tweeted a special on a eight hundred two dot eleven n wireless access point slash router pretty much like the time capsule i'm like you know what for 20 bucks <laughs> so rather than you having to buy a whole boatload of them to get it for 20 bucks they would offer it at any any uh, uh level up to five i think so you could buy up to five so if you follow me on twitter and we'll talk about that later but i did tweet it out because i i thought it was like wow what a great deal 20 bucks for a 802.11n router so is this, this uh, thing, just so i can put it in the show notes is this uh product id 8742 at mono price uh, it certainly could be. Okay. I'll put, that's the one I'm going to put in the, in the, in the show notes and, and you'll change it if it's, if it's not. So oh, wait, let me look. Uh, no, that's different. Okay. At least the number on the device itself, but okay. Is it, is it RN three sixty eight on the device? No. Okay. All right. Well then you'll find it moving on. Show notes. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, Sorry. I will do that. So I get the thing. I look through the instructions. I'm like, okay, number one. Okay. It's English. So the, 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 the included documentation is almost useless in that it's, it's, it's badly translated Asian to English. So I'm like, ah, let me just, but I got enough that it had a web interface. So I basically went to the web interface, set it up. And the only thing I had to do was make sure that I noted the things for my time capsule day, which for the most part, and this may be a note here of information that you want to keep track of in some form. If you ever switch to network equipment, that is the two most important things to me was one, the Mac addresses of all the devices that I wanted to allow either for DHCP or wireless. Well, actually that was really it. Okay. <laughs> because I wanted to maintain control because that's important, Dave, to control things in your life. And what I want to control is who gets an IP address and the Mac address of people to get to my access point. So, but I got this thing. I plugged it in. Um, it's small. It's light. It's almost too light. It's kind of scary. And it has two antennas. So that's the fun part. Plug it in, set it up. Uh, I think I cycled power on my cable modem, uh, you know, so it would know that there's something new there. And everything was working great and is working great. The only thing is that now it has a web configuration menu, which is cool. That's fantastic. Some of the ter some of the terminology gets a little crazy, though. So they have a setup wizard, which for the most part, I would say was, you know, not as good as Apple's, but, you know, good enough that it would get you. You know, it's like, do you want this to be a bridge or, or a, you know, kind of ISP thing or this or that? So it was good enough, I think. 
Cool. For someone who is somewhat technical in Wi-Fi, I would say a, a newbie w- would not be happy with this. So yeah. this is definitely something for the people out there that have set up a, a wireless access point, then this product is awesome. And now instead of 20 bucks a pop, it's 25, I think, but still, um, but you can put in the mode gateway bridge or wireless ISP. And then the wireless, you can set settings. So I set up for certain things. So for example, you can, you can restrict by band. So I said, just do GNN, please. You can set up multiple virtual access points. So that's kind of a feature that the newer Apple equipment does. Where you can basically have it say, oh, well, okay, the N network, we'll call it this ID, and then the G will call this, and you guys kind of connect. And I don't know how smart it is about prioritizing, but still, that's a neat feature. You know, it has all the latest security and stuff like that, and it shows up fine in the in the Apple uh, airport menu. So uh, have you done any uh, bandwidth tests on this just to see if you're getting, you know, compared to the Apple hardware that you came from, which admittedly was a first gen time capsule. But I'm just curious how yes. it how it does. You know, um, what I did is so, you know, I'm glad you asked that question, Dave. Yeah. Because. See if I have it here, but I actually did a site survey. OK. Comparing the two. I'm trying to find the name of the program that I did the site survey with. And, uh, it's not right in front of me, which. Uh, was it NetSpot? Yes, it was. All which, right. <laughs> I'm here to help, man. Cool. Thank you. Because sure. that's what I was using earlier today or, or over the last couple of days. Once I switched over, I'm like, you know what? How does this compare? Because I did a, uh, I believe a Monday's Mac gadget or some article about this. Yep. You did. Saying what, this is cool. What brought it to mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I did a site survey. Now the, the one thing you have to keep in mind. So their site survey lets you measure different things. Now the different things that I measured uh, I think one, you can measure signal to noise ratio. And that's certainly one thing you can measure to see the quality of a signal. Sure. And depending on the value, it's it's better or worse. Uh, the other is signal strength. Now, the thing is, when I did a survey in my house of the time capsule versus this thing. Now, this thing has two antennas. Uh, and they're oriented uh, vertically. or Or they should be. You, you can orient them any way you want, actually. It so has, this has, I don't know this if it's has a, externally mounted antennas. Correct. And it has two externally okay. mounted antennas. Here's the fun part. So I, I'm looking for reviews on this thing. And one person was like, ah, there's only one antenna. The other's a fake. And I'm like, really? I'm like, well, they're 20 bucks a pop. I bought two. Let me open up the other one. And sure enough, <laughs> I pop it open. <laughs> the wire from the circuit board going to, uh, which is marked, I think, ANT1, going to the, the uh, antenna, yeah. there's only one. <laughs> okay, so let me, but let me ask you this. Um, when you get a connection to it on 802.11n, what mm-hmm. does your Wi-Fi, it, so uh, I know you know this, but I'm, I'm going to just walk through it for the benefit of our listeners. It, if you option click, on the Wi-Fi menu in your Mac's menu bar, it gives you some additional information about the wireless connection, about the access Correct. point that you're connected to. So in that, there is a transmission or a speed listed. And I don't have it up on this one because I'm not connected wirelessly on this right. computer. But what speed does it list when you're right close to the router connected 802.11n? Because that's going to tell us how many antennas are actually in use. 
I'm not sure if that will, but I believe oh, no. that, so. The maximum it, value I've seen there is transmit rate one one fifty. I think one fifty. Okay, yeah. so that that actually not does 300. that does tell us because you get one fifty per antenna. So like Apple's new time capsule is a three by three device, meaning there's three antennas, and you can get a four fifty connect rate over 802.11n. A two antenna device should le- should read three hundred megabits which is exactly what it says on Monoprice's website for this device. So if you're only getting 150, you are in fact getting ripped off based well, on the specs that they're uh, telling you. However, at 20 bucks, however, you know, yeah. <laughs> however, my understanding is that, so this also has a screen that shows the uh, channel width, right? And as far as I can see, as far as I can tell Dave, I do not have, well, at least my MacBook pro is not capable of doing dual channel right that's the other thing so this device actually lets me set the channel width which can be 20 megahertz i think or 40 megahertz that's right find the right screen no that's that's right yeah yeah, yeah. channel width 20 40 megahertz the thing is my understanding is that you only get the speed boost if you can do and i believe my macbook pro that's right old to take advantage of the wider channel width and hence the higher speed. So that's correct. Yeah. So the limitation might be in your MacBook Pro. You may not have gotten ripped off. That's yes. right. No, I have it. No, though it's still mini, funny. Right. I think your mini will do at least two by yes. two. Won't and it? I had not tested with the mini because okay. the mini's on gigabit. And sure. of course, gigabit is the win on the mini. So why right. would I even test this? But for, for curiosity, for this sake, yes, you will. Awesome. Oh, I will. Of course. That's good. No, that's good. No, you're you're absolutely right. It you're, it would be your MacBook Pro would be the limiting factor there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. right. But yeah. it's still a cool little piece of hardware. And the other thing is that it supports um, and this brings me up to a little piece of software that I another one I've written about, Dave. But this supports if you go to one of the advanced screens, it, it supports UPnP. I'm sure your old your Apple router. Well, your Apple router supports something very similar to UPnP called yes. NAT PMP, right? Which right. almost, <laughs> which uh, never really caught on. I think in the let me configure, uh, let me port map your firewall yeah. world. No, you're right. In my opinion, it was never the more popular one. The more popular one was. Now the thing is, there was a nice little utility which. Uh, a lot of you have used. If not, I mean, you know, you, you know how to use Google port map. It's called. And the reason I first wrote about it, Dave, because I did do a gadget about it yet again. I've, I've just covered all these great tools that continue to be great or at least keep working. <laughs> and this tool was cool because it let you see both PNP NAT and universal plug and play mappings. So the thing is, once I enabled on this, uh, you know, cheap little or inexpensive little unit here, I found that it had a way to enable this. And then I ran port map and it said, oh, yeah, here, here are a couple of mappings on your router already. Show you PMP mappings. So. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. The reason you'd want either UPnP or PMP NAT is otherwise you get to manually map ports to your router and your each of your computers. And it's a big pain in the neck. So just for people scratching their head saying, why do I care about either of these? That's why you do, because it makes your life a lot easier. And then it makes it transparent that whatever uh, network utility you're running is asking your firewall or your router to do. Well, for, kind of weird for example, stuff. I mean, our Skype connections here, uh, when you when you launch Skype and when you connect to someone for a voice or video call, it, it Skype will reach out to your router. Now, 
if it can't, it will still make it work because Skype has magic in it. But uh, but the best way is to have a direct connection. And so what Skype does is it reaches out to your router again using uh, UPnP. I believe it also does NAT PMP, which is, as John said, Apple's way of doing it. But it reaches out and says, hey, open this port up and uh, pass it to me at this computer. I'll take care of the rest. And and it's really handy. Uh, there's obviously security risks with allowing UPnP, which is why a lot of corporate firewalls don't have it turned on because you're essentially allowing anyone that's connected inside your network to tell your router to just, you know, do whatever. There's no password and, protection or anything like that on, on, uh, you know, there's no controls. It's basically on and here's, or off, but it's handy for home networks. So good. And here's the part that gets me giddy, Dave. So yeah. I'm running on my, um, and I rarely get giddy, but so I'm running on my MacBook pro port map and I said, talk to my new router. Sure. And it said, oh, here's a port that's been mapped on your machine at blah, blah, at this IP address ending in 10. That's my Mac Mini, Dave. And what it's mapped is 49659 on both UDP TCP. Yep. Do you think that may be Skype? <laughs> um, it could be. I know years ago, you and I actually put, oh, actually, yeah, it would because... When you had I think your, Skype did a did a UPnP mapping to, well, to this thing. Yeah. You know, uh, prior to you replacing your router, you had a static route in there or a static yes, port forward because we had done that when we started doing the show years ago to make sure that we would never deal with any port mapping problems. And we 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 hand mapped Skype for both of us. Uh, but since you replaced your router, you probably didn't put that hand mapping in. And so it, it Skype took care of it. Yeah, that's cool. That's good stuff. All right. Uh, cool. Well, I'm, I'm curious how that router works out for you, you know, over time, because at 20 bucks, it sounds like it does a lot of cool stuff. Now, uh, one thing I want to ask about it and then and then we'll move on to uh, actually we'll probably move on to Martin, John. So so get ready there. But uh, I, I'm curious, does it allow you to set up? Does it will it run as a, a VPN server or no? It would surprise right. me. At you told me to do it, it. Told me you told me to do two things. So I'll try I to do know. one and then the other. Okay. But, but no, it does have a section in management called, let, let me see. So it has DDNS, which is kind of cool. That's cool. Um, DOS protection. How about that? Denial of service. That's, that's kind of, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, let me see. Where was it? I don't see VPN in the list of features. I did. I no, no, it had. I searched your Twitter feed while you were talking and I found the link to the router that you're talking about. And I, I looked, it is, it is part number eight Oh seven Oh at monoprice. But again, we've got a link in the show notes. So, but no, I have it here uh, in the firewall section of the setup. There is a VLAN. Okay. Uh, so there's a few things. So there's a VLAN section with, let, which lets you map various physical ports to a virtual LAN. And then there is VLANs can be cool. Um, I, I know a friend of mine has one set up. Uh, and again, he's got like you have with the, the, you can set up the separate wireless network. So he has a separate VLAN that he puts all his kids devices on and he has that routing through open DNS and it's all secure and time limited. And he doesn't allow YouTube and all this. Cause that's how he chooses to parent. But, um, but you know, that's a cool way of using VLANs. So, that's pretty advanced for a twenty dollar router. That's pretty cool, but no, I don't now think it who, does. Who, who's up? Well, I'm going to tell you about this as soon as I can find who. Who was the guy? Where uh, Martin Jurgen? No, oh, Martin. No. We did Jurgen uh, second, so it's it's time for Martin. 
uh, spelled okay. well. I'm, Hold on. I'm I'm taking liberties with the pronunciation of Martin's name. Uh, it M A R T I J N, and I am assuming that it's close to correctly pronounced as Martin. And if uh, if you'd like me to read the question, I am happy to do so. Unless you're ready to roll. I got it. All right. Off you go. And I, I, I am at your Ooh. beck and call because I've, I've got and a you got the button. To play. I do. <laughs> Hi, John and Dave. Today I was updating my sister's old G4 12-inch power book. Oh, you know, that just warms my heart, Dave. Because <laughs> I had one of those. It was awesome. All right. When it was being repaired, uh, when it was repairing permissions, I noticed it was making some clicking noise. Here we go. See you touch. Okay, that's enough. It almost sounded initially like a film reel running day. Yeah, yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, but I'm not sure if you can hear the sound clear enough, and I don't know if we can either. But we'll we'll uh, we'll We'll assume we can. Right. When it was ready, the noise slowly went away. I've heard you talking about this, and it can be the hard drive. Don't know if you recognize the sound, but if so, can you tell me what it could be? Here's my opinion. Go. And I think this is an opinion thing. So I listened to it. I think it's something stuck in the fan in this machine. I looked this up, though, because you may ask yourself, well, how can I find out how to find where the fan is in my Mac? Because, you know, they're they're all. They look nice and it's not obvious. How do I find out where the heck the fan is? So I actually went to iFixit. it. I would say iFixit is is probably the best you could let me know if you think different, Dave, but probably one of the best sites for getting instructions on how to rip apart your, your Apple equipment and see what's inside of it, including the fan, yep. which is what I found. So basically I said, you know, here's an article. Now they do say a lot of the articles, they will say, you know, you need a skill level of, you know, beginner, moderate, or, you know, find somebody who, you know, like, like us. <laughs> <laughs> or an Apple store <laughs> to, to fix your computer. Um, but in this case, I would say the, the, the sound to me sounded like there was something stuck in the fan because it ah. almost, again, sounded like a film reel or something was rubbing against something at a very regular rate. And to me, that it, based on my experience with machines that had fans and being in environments which would either have you know pollen or dust or whatever, or just various you know debris, uh, that that's what I thought of when I heard the sound, Dave, then. Yeah, no, it's so it, here's the thing. Yeah. We heard the sound certainly makes sense. It's the fan. Plus, it, you know, some of the things that he said uh, were c- great clues to confirm th- the diagnosis. And, and those clues are uh, when it was repairing permissions, I noticed that it made this clicking noise. And when it was ready, the noise slowly went away while well, repairing permissions, uh, especially on these older machines, does use a lot of the CPU because it's going back and forth. I don't know why, but I mean, it's certainly just a truth of that process. And when the CPU is in use, it heats up. And when the CPU heats up, the sensor notices this and triggers the fan to speed up. The fan is likely, and I believe in this machine, it's always running, but it's running at some very baseline kind of moderate level. And it will speed up as the uh, CPU requires it to cool it off. So, Uh, And then, of course, once the CPU uh, is not pegged at 100 percent and it comes back down, the CPU cools off and the fan would. Here we are slowly get slower 
And there you go. The sound goes away. My guess is it's not something stuck in the fan, though. Um, it'd be pretty tough to get. And I guess anything's possible. My guess is it's, you know, it's an older machine. It's just a bearing in the fan that's going. The good news is that it hasn't gone yet. And the reason it hasn't gone that we know it hasn't gone yet is you're still hearing it. So if the bearing uh, in the fan had had totally shot and it couldn't spin anymore, uh, you would not hear anything. In fact, you may not be able to do anything because your Mac will not run uh, if it cannot keep itself cool enough. Now, there's some uh, circulation, just uh, standard cooling, and I can't come up with the right term off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, where the where the where the, the the airflow is such that your Mac will cool itself without the fan. So in some environments you might be okay, but yeah, you definitely, I would say convection. Thank you, sir. Uh, that's the word. Yeah. There's the convection cooling may be good enough in most cases on that machine, but you know, it will, uh, you definitely want to replace the fan. That's the, that's the, uh, you know, that's the thing. And you know what I really, what, what the, one of the coolest things about this, John is Martin sent that in that he made that recording, but he made it with the Mac geek cab app which allows what? you to, with, with the Mac geek cab app that we talked about and released last weekend. So he was able to make the recording, send it right into us. But what's even cooler. And we've got some of these emails coming in and uh, we're going to talk about in the tips section, which we'll do very, very shortly here. But uh, in addition to being able to send an email, if you send an email while you're listening to an episode, for example, right now, uh, it will mark that email for us not only with the episode number, but with the time that you were in the episode. So how far in you were. And if you're listening to the AAC version, it also tags it with the chapter and it makes it way easier for us to cross reference and all that. So it, uh, it really, it, 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 frankly, it enhances what we're able to do for you. So, uh, so that's the, uh, that's the, that, that that's was insane. Yet a, it was a cool, it was a cool thing. It, you how know, did in this fact, happen? we, what's that? How did it happen? Well, it took a long time, a lot of work, <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, but we did have a question about the Mac geek app, uh, and we'll use it as an opportunity to talk a little bit more about some of the more, uh, esoteric features, if you will, in the app, David wrote a very simple question with the app. Of course, he says, how do I delete a show after listening? So, um, the, there are icons at the bottom of your screen. Okay, this is in the Mac Geekab app on your iPhone or iPod Touch or even on your iPad, although there's not an iPad uh, screen yet. It's just going to be in the, you know, in kind of the emulation mode. And uh, at the bottom of the screen, there are five icons. One all the way to the right is the one that lets you set manually if you want to download things. Uh, there's a shortcut for that that we're going to teach you about shortly here. But uh, these icons starting on the left are bookmarks. So if you hit that, it will show you any episodes in which you have saved a bookmark really handy. Like, for example, right now, if you're listening in your car and you don't have time to go through all this, you could create a bookmark while you're listening to the episode and then come back to it later. And it would show up in that list. Uh, so that's going to show you your bookmarks. The next one over is a uh, is the circle. And that one will show you any episodes that you have not listened to. Uh, so that. That's that. The next one over is the three lines, and that's showing you what's in the RSS feed. Uh, so that's going to show you episodes, whether you've listened to them or not. Uh, but uh, and, and then 
the last one in those four is a down arrow that shows you any episodes that you have downloaded to your device and that are on there. Now, from any of these lists, the following uh, actions will work. You can take an episode and if you grab it and just swipe to the right, uh, that will let you toggle whether or not you have listened to it. Uh, you'll see the little circle changes as you grab it and, and swipe a little bit to the right. Uh, and that lets you set whether, uh, you know, it's, it's listened to or unlistened to. Now, here's the other trick. If you grab it and go left, you have the option of either downloading uh, and which will uh, you'll see a little down arrow. Or if you've already downloaded it, you'll see the arrow with an with a slash through it. That will let you delete it from your device. With one exception, the app is actually smart enough. If you've synced an episode from iTunes into your uh, iPod or iPhone, the app's smart enough to see that, but we don't have the ability to delete it because Apple doesn't give us that ability because we're in our own little sandbox, but we can see it and we can play it for you. So we're not going to ask you to download something twice and store it twice on your device or waste the bandwidth downloading it. We just can't delete it, but everything else we can delete. So that's the, uh, that's the little, that's, that's our, our little quick tip on, on the Mac geek app this time around. Any questions there, John? No. Okay. All right. I've downloaded it, but I haven't. <laughs> you haven't played with it yet. yet. All right. No. There, there is one problem that we're aware of, and it, it's happening for more than a few of you, I would guess. And that is, uh, if you just go to play an episode and you haven't downloaded it, it's not going to download it. It's just going to stream it to you. Uh, for some reason on some phones, and this may be an iOS 6 thing. Uh, because it wasn't happening during our testing. But even if you go into settings and have stream over cellular turned on for many of you, it will tell you you're not uh, you don't have stream over cellular enabled and therefore you can't stream. You can download at that point. So uh, so there you go. But that'll be fixed in, in the next update. And Corey's actually Corey uh, Emdick, the uh, developer from BitSuites, who's been the lead on this. He's He's got some other cool stuff that we're doing, too. So the, the app. We're going, we're moving. It's, 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 it's not going to stay just as you see it. It's going to keep getting better and better. So it's good. Moving stuff. forward, moving forward. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, moving forward Jeff. into, into some follow-ups here. Oh. Uh, we, um, we have, we have quite a few follow-ups from show four seventeen that we want to go through. Uh, the first thing was we talked about, it was Robert's question, I believe, where uh, his computer name kept getting duplicated. And we talked about uh, some reasons why that might happen and how to, how to deal with it. We got emails from tons of you about this. And, uh, and so I want to run through some of those. Zach says, uh, this problem happens also when you clone one Mac's hard drive to another, and the name is the same in sharing system preferences. So if you clone a hard drive and then have both of those Macs live on the network, you without, if you don't go in and change it, you're going to have two machines of the same name constantly fighting for each other. So that's that's an excellent point. Thank you. Uh, Glenn writes, he says. Uh, they likely both had Wi-Fi and Ethernet connected at the same time. The router sees one Mac via Wi-Fi and another Mac with the same name via Ethernet. Uh, this can also cause things to duplicate. I actually have done this and haven't seen that problem, but I can certainly see where hmm. where it would. It may just depends on your network setup. So thank you for that, Glenn. And uh, 
And the final one from Ed, and again, many of you wrote in with all of these. I'm just picking the hand, kind of picking the emails. But anyway, uh, he says, I have a comment too. He says, I use LogMeIn's Hamachi as a quick and dirty way to access resources in my office when I am away from the office. It sets up an encrypted link back to the network bouncing off of LogMeIn's server. If I forget to turn that off and take my machine back to the office, I get the error about renaming. In this case, though, if I don't go turn off Hamachi, I'll get a, into a continuing series of renames as the new name now shows up twice because the computer's in the office and then connecting to the office using this remote access software. So that's it's the constant battle. So thank you, Ed. That's a that's a good uh, a good reminder of how that stuff goes. And also in 417, we talked about iTunes and having things. I think we talked about using TuneSpan so that uh, you could have your movies on one drive and your music on another and yet see it all in the library simultaneously. And again, we got lots of thoughts on how to do that without having to use third-party software. Uh, Phoenix wrote in, he says that tip about the iTunes library could be done simpler and for free. When you have gigs of apps, music, movies, and TV shows have an external drive attached or time capsule, make a folder for each type of media, move the media into the appropriate folder, then open iTunes, iTunes, go to preferences advanced when there, uncheck the copy files to iTunes media folder when adding to library and hit OK. Then when all the media is in its new home, delete all the movies, TV shows, etc. from your main playlist. With those areas empty, go to file, add to library and browse to the individual folders holding the media. Wait for iTunes to do its magic. And because you have unchecked the copy files into iTunes media folder, it will not copy them. It will just have links to them. I only keep apps and podcasts on my main drive and all other media on an external drive in nice organized folders. As far as I remember, iTunes is a database underneath with an HTML front end of sorts. That's that's right. Uh, okay. So that's uh, that one. And then um, you can do that manually too. We had somebody write in and say it was by holding the control key, but I don't believe that's correct. I think it's holding the option key. So if you drag, if you have that, if you have that box checked, right, where, where, where it says copy files into the iTunes media folder, but you're bringing something in that you want iTunes to see, but you don't want to copy it into your media folder, hold down the option key when you're dragging it in and then iTunes won't see it uh, or anyway, sorry, iTunes won't copy it in. If you have that box unchecked and you do want iTunes to copy something in, hold down the option key. So the option key essentially overrides that behavior as you're dragging it in, which is, uh, which is a very, very handy thing. So, uh, and then I'm trying to think the Michael had one comment about a spanning solution for uh, Everett. He says, uh, delete his movies and TV shows. Uh, no, I guess he had the same thing. Sorry. I thought, I thought we had a third solution on this, but, uh, but I guess it was the same. So thank you, Michael. Yes. All right. Uh, that's that. How are we doing on time here? I know we've got some good tips. It's over. Oh, all right. Well, then then let's do uh, let's do a couple of cool stuff. Find the cool stuffs that people have found out there. Uh, all right. We'll go to Chuck. Chuck actually had a question as part of his, which is a which is a nice. Thing. No, no, no. What? Oh, you know. Doing? So here, oh, here's why we're doing this. We're actually not going to be here next Sunday. So this show. You've got to hold on to this for two weeks. So for those of you that are behind a little bit, well, now you're not behind anymore because you've, you've got two weeks to, to catch up. So uh, so <laughs> we can we can go another five minutes. It's not going to kill anybody. 
so uh, Chuck writes, whenever I delete the trash, a notice box pops up and asks me if I indeed want to clear it. The problem is at times, many times that I'm not in or using the desktop for me to see the message. I run six desktops uh, and he says using Mountain Lion. Is there any way I can see the trash delete notice appear in every desktop window? So what what he's talking about is that he's using um, I guess it's now in mission control in Lion and and it's different spaces is what he's doing. And which is very, very cool, especially on, uh, you know, on on machines with smaller screens like, you, you know, MacBook Air spaces are fantastic. Uh, but you can also use them on a, a larger machine if you've got lots of windows when they open. work. Well, that, and, and this is one of these things where sometimes it, yeah, you know, he goes to empty the trash, but, but the finder window is in the wrong place. And so it's showing him this, this thing and he's got to dig through and find where this is in order to say, yes, empty the trash. So, uh, so I had told him that and he came back and he says, uh, initially I was distraught and mad at Apple for not making the empty trash notice visible in all desktops. He says, but then I went to the app store and found a neat app called garbage truck. For 99 cents, the user can program how frequently the trash is removed, accompanied or not, by an appropriate sound, and interconnected with the new notifications function in Mountain Lion. Now, no matter which desk, 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 meh, now, no matter in which desktop oh. I am working, if I have trash waiting to be dumped, I will be notified with a banner when the container is emptied. Situation resolved. Maybe other listeners might be interested. So, yeah, definitely cool stuff found. Uh, there is one solution, though, that I think would work and that is you can set an app to be opened in a particular space and you can also set an app to always be available in all spaces so if you're willing to have all of your finder windows in all spaces then yes that will work so that that's yet another workaround of uh of that and john i Mm -hmm. i know you like growl so I think this next cool stuff found might be something that, uh, that you like. He says, I found a plugin called bark at barkplug.in. says, I may have actually heard about this on the show. No, you haven't. Uh, we've never heard about it before, but nope. this, this week we had like three people write in with, with bark. He said, it's a great little tool to have apps appear in the notification center through growl. Yes. Growl has added support for notification center, uh, this week, but, with Growl's uh, notification center, you can only see the growl icon in the notification center. Bark changes that and shows you the real icon of the app. Uh, <clears throat> at least it did until today and worked perfectly. Uh, and he's talking about the fact that because growl was updated, they needed to update Bark, but they have now updated Bark. So, uh, so I believe you can you can run that. And from what I could tell, Bark was free. So, Barkplug dot in. So are you using Bark in, uh, in Mountain Lion now? No. Okay. Well, you, you could and perhaps even should, right? I'm, I'm really afraid of the future of Growl. Well, it looks like... Uh, so I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to paint a picture that gives me hope when there's only despair. But I don't think Chris has given up. Chris Forsythe, the, the chief <laughs> author of, or chief programmer on Growl. I... Love the product, love using it, but you know sometimes Apple just gets that iron fist and just punches you right in the face. Well, it's it's a good feature, right? So, 
it is, but still, I'm just uh, what I'm saying is I, I've I've I love Growl, but I see Apple coming in with Notification Center as a intrusion. And how do people that make that sort of functionality? How? how yeah. Oh yeah. No, you're right. A year from now, Growl will be a lot less valuable than it is now. The nice part about it is it means that all of those apps, Growl's interaction with Notification Center now means that all of those apps that were built to use Growl can now work with Notification Center and Bark enhances True. that even further. But as each of those apps iterates their product, chances are they're going to go ahead and and uh, and add Notification Center functionality. Right. And then you're right. You won't need Growl anymore. Yeah. But but it's good. To, but it makes me happy and sad. It makes me happy that somebody like Bark comes in and says, you know what, we're going to fill we're going to provide this bridge but it makes me sad that innovators in my opinion like growl are being you know uh, encouraged to uh, look at other things to do in their time they've been sherlocked (laughs) well that's it yeah it's it's find something else there you go yeah yeah but that's good if they're smart and agile and uh innovative then then that's that's how it works that's uh, yeah it's how it works that's right all right so innovator perish if you want to email us, you don't have to innovate or perish. You just go get our app and you can contact us right from the app. You can record an audio comment. You can record, uh, you can type text in. And uh, as we said, you can link it to the show that you're listening to at that point in time. Fantastic way to get in touch with us. If you are part of our premium uh, offering that you set that in the settings and it'll send your email to our premium address, which uh, which, of course, will persist uh, as part of this new offering. We are in a, in, a, in a tangent about premium. I know I said we'd have it rolled out this week. We're really, really close on this, but we want to do it right. We had some trouble with the old payment processor, as many of you know, and uh, and we want to make sure that we're testing this thing. So that's why we've sort of put new subscriptions on hold right now. Uh, we are allowing those of you that are part of it to, to stay, but we, we want to make sure the UI is as perfect as we can make it out of the gate because this is your information that we're dealing with, and we're actually moving moving it so that you're doing the transaction on our side of things as opposed to us handing you off to someone else and then coming back with the transaction. Although PayPal will still be that way. Or PayPal will be that way. Good news for those of you that uh, that wanted to be a part of premium but uh, and wanted to support us but did not want to do it direct with a credit card. We will now have PayPal as an option. But, uh, but adding all of these things and getting it right takes some testing and I am in no desire to rush this out of the gate. But we're really close. Um, Adam pretty much got it working on uh, Thursday. We tested some on Friday. We're testing some more this weekend. So, uh, so it's it's close. We're, it's at some point, certainly at some point this week, we're just going to pull the trigger and and then uh, we'll let you. Whoa, we'll let whoa, all, whoa, 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 all whoa, existing whoa. premium subscribers know. Is there a problem? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So that's where that is. Uh, the apps out there, if you just want to email us directly, you can do so at feedback at com. How you doing, John? <laughs> All right. That's feedback at com, folks. Yeah, I think, whoa, 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 whoa. I think it's whoa, party whoa. afternoon I got for my friend over here. I have to correct you. It's feedback at com. Awesome. Yeah, stay with us for like another four minutes and then it's party time, John. Um, let's see. Uh, audio comments, of course, you can send in that same way. You can also call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is 433. 
five. Outstanding. And, of yeah. course, you can see the show notes that we put together for you. John takes time each week to uh, polish them up and make sure it's got everything in it. Those are all at MacGeekGov.com, where actually you can now play the latest episode right there on the uh, right there on the, the web interface, which I'm so happy with mm-hmm. the new TMO design. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been working really well. It's clean. It's bright. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, let's see. You can follow us on Twitter. He's John F. Braun. Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete, wherever he is. The show <laughs> is Mac Geek Gab. That's uh, when you'll find out about all of the stuff that we do here. Uh, I'm Dave Hamilton, and of course, you can follow Mac Observer at Mac Observer to get all the headlines from uh, from TMO. You want to tell them about Facebook quick, John? Facebook.com slash hmm, Mac Geek Gab. Check it. All right. Cool. And of course, join us on the stream. We will not be here next Sunday night. The next uh, stream will be October 7th. If What's happening? Memory What's going serves. on? I'm, I'm going to be away next weekend. And uh, and I'll tell you where I went and all that stuff. But there's it's possible oh, oh. that I, I, I don't want to say anything. I there's one person that I do not want to hear in advance where I'm going, and I really don't think that person listens. But just in case they do, I, I don't want to ruin a surprise for someone. So, uh, so, but I think I think it's the sixth when we're back. No, the seventh. Yeah, the seventh. Right, mm-hmm. October seventh. I'm looking at the calendar. Yeah, yeah, October seventh. We're good to go. Normal time, 9 p.m. Eastern. All right. In the future. And the future. That's right. October 7th in the future, not the past. All right. We would like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this show into AAC for us and for you. Cashfly, of course, with all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Podcast Marketplace this month includes BB Edit from Barebone Software, Text Expander 4 from Smile, Gazelle to sell all your stuff. And we're throwing the Mac Geekab app right in there to the podcast marketplace. We'd sure appreciate your support and the functionality, hopefully, is valuable to you. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Have a great two weeks, folks. Have a lot of fun. Catch up on the shows. Catch up on some sleep. But don't get caught. Made up.